0: we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, dot com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more.
1: There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Shouldn't you be at work?
2: It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal!
1: It's not away. Southgate shot, Milosevic scores. DPR could do with a bit of magic from him, maybe this is it, it is! Andy Sinton from nothing.
2: Brian Roy has headed for his interlead.
1: Whelan, oh what a goal from Noah Whelan. No power on it whatsoever, but Taibbi has made a horrendous error.
2: Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Skull joining me as always it's Michael Marden. Hello. And thank you to Luke McGuire for the intro. We've got to get going. Michael Owen. Ivo Graham is the guest host this week. Welcome Ivo. Thanks for having me Chris and Michael.
1: Uh, A pleasure to be here. Can I say who the guest is? Yes, why not? Of course. Kicking off my podcast co-hosting career with Jason Ah oh, As it true. should be. As the prophecy foretold.
2: <laughs> God, I just love I just love him. I really it's happened a few times with guests where we've met them and it, like Peter Reed was one. We just like, ah, oh, I'd love to have a beer with him. I'd love a little night out. The still we I feel like we scratched the sur- surface story-wise.
1: I think McAteer is um you know, I say this as a, a fan of you and the podcast, and someone who's very much been drinking the Kool Aid since it was first devised. And on either the pool side in 2016, I think McIntyre is is like your, it's almost like the Platonic ideal. He's pure 90s, to, you know, not to disrespect his significant contributions to club and international football in the in the noughties, but he's a man of the 90s. He's associated with some of the iconic mixing business with pleasure of the 90s and he's he's got some stories to tell he's still got a lot of appetite for telling the stories he's not weary of reminiscing it's <laughs> a tear
2: <laughs> well you've got all that to look forward to later in the episode but shall we begin with a little bit of correspondence yes
1: i'm jim rosenthal and this is the electronic post bag
2: you got mail. Thank you to Desmond Hinton Beals, who sent this one in. We've got uh, a podcasting musical expert in our co-host, Ivo Graham, who hosts the brilliant Gig Pigs. Now, Ivo, you probably haven't heard this story before. I definitely haven't. Desmond says, it was a strange day at Glastonbury Festival in 1990. Headline acts, The Cure, were interrupted by helicopter airlifting a festival-goer to hospital. During the close-down, while they waited for the chopper to leave, Robert Smith announced the result from that day's round of 16 game from Italia 90. You Fantastic. can hear this clip on YouTube, where Robert Smith announces that Columbia have lost to Robert Roger Miller's Indomitable Lions, meaning England face Cameroon next if they can get past Belgium. And what's more, the Glastonbury crowd roars in delight. That's You've got correct. to check this out. Robert Smith would be low down on my list of musicians around the time of Italian night, that we invested enough to let people know a scoreline of some consequence.
1: Is it a case of, I don't care if Monday's blue, Friday we'll play Cameroon?
2: <laughs> that sort of thing. And then he <laughs> changed all the lyrics.
1: <laughs> Can we quickly, I don't know what, what, what uh, the jumping off point from the correspondence is, but there's a great piece of McAteer intel that we didn't get to in the episode that I'd simply love to discuss with you quickly. And it's very much about the crossover between live music and football results. Yes, now's the time. Okay. What does the name, the place of interest, Slain Castle mean to you? Isn't the scene of some big gigs in the 90s, maybe Robbie Williams? Well, uh, I think Robbie Williams' spiritual home was, uh, was, was Nebworth, wasn't it? So I, I was first introduced to it as the site of a uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers live DVD. But prior to that... It had been a U2 live DVD, U2 Go Home, live from Slane Castle, Ireland. Now, I also don't think we cover in the, back of the podcast, because we're staying so loyally to the 90s and, and the larks he had at USA ninety-four, how with the pivotal roles he played in getting Ireland to the 2002 World Cup, he scored the winner in a qualifier against the Netherlands. And this was on the night that you 2 were playing at Slane Castle and recording this DVD. U2 Go Home was filmed on Saturday, the 1st of September, 2001. The same day, Robert Goal Ireland beat the Netherlands to secure a place in the 2002 FIFA World Cup intercontinental playoff where Ireland would go on to defeat Iran. I do apologize. McAteer scored the winning goal in the sort of pre-playoff. But nonetheless, if you can beat Holland, you can beat Iran. <laughs> the match was shown to the crowd at Slane Castle prior to the concert. Adding to the already festive air, during the bridge in New Year's Day, Bono drapes himself in the Irish flag and tells the crowd, blows your eyes and imagine it's Jason McAteer who scored
2: the decisive goal during the match. (laughs) Amazing. Fantastic show. There you go, Jason McAteer. What a man. Much lauded by Bono, as we know. If you've got any more on 90s musicians lauding 90s footballers... I'm all for it. Hello at quicklykevin.com. Now, Robert Anderson's been on. We did a, a Scotland at Euro 92 documentary not so long ago, and it jogged his mind that in early 1997 at the age of 11, he won a pair of Craig Brown socks at a local community event at the church around the corner from his house. They somehow managed to obtain a few pairs of celebrity socks and were auctioning them off. And he went in hard for Craig Brown's, though he can't have spent more than a tenner. He's dug them out and... Uh, He's got the le- there's a letter of authenticity as well from Craig Brown. They really are his socks. He's planning to frame them and hang them in the toilet. There you go. Craig Brown's socks out
1: there in the wild. I'd love to know what gets written in a letter of authenticity to accompany <laughs> a suspect pair of socks.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah. The letter's worth more than the socks, really. Do well, you, um, good do, news. for do... I've just sent you the a picture of uh, the letter, which... Uh, Robert Anderson has kindly sent on. It's on headed letter paper. Uh, the Scottish Football Association. So there you go. Okay. So so your any suspicions you've got are allayed initially. Date, 26th of November, 1996. In bold, in caps, underlined, to whom it may concern. Dear Sir, Madam, I confirm that I have worn the enclosed socks on various occasions during training sessions with the Scottish international team. Best wishes, yours faithfully, Craig Brown, international team manager. (laughs) And uh, so there you go. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. And a lovely picture of the socks there. Well worth framing that. All right, let's have another email. You might be able to help with this next email, Michael. It's from Tim Collingwood. It says, Hi, guys. Not, not long started listening to the pod, so apologies if this has come up before. I don't think it has. Man City's recent Champions League win to secure the treble reminded me of something that happened way back in 99, not too long after Solskjaer had poked the ball home to win the Champions League and secure Manchester United's treble. He was watching the game with his friend, Dan, and they both say they heard the same thing, but he doesn't remember what I'm about to tell you ever being mentioned. It wasn't in the papers. There's no sign of this. But after the, not long after the final whistle in the champions league final, they cut back to the studio for comments from the pundits. And as they were cutting back, the pundits were in conversation amongst themselves. And Terry Venables was clearly heard saying "Solskjaer, you might have to bleep this is a lucky cunt. Live on TV, they've been talking. Him and his friend Dan have been talking about over the last 24 years as to whether they heard this correctly. I've never heard this before. Do you remember this, Michael? Uh,
1: no, I don't remember it at all, and I certainly haven't heard it mentioned since then. I would imagine that that would exist somewhere out there on the internet if it had actually happened, because yeah. that's exactly the sort of game people would have VHS'd at home and someone would have extracted it. So, I'm gonna say
2: it probably didn't happen, but you know you never know you'd be they knew you're coming back to the show you're not going to be dropping a c-bomb like that surely well that does that does happen i mean i've seen that happen like in a live environment in galleries i've been
1: in not the c-bomb but people coming back and not realizing (laughs) i just think if it had had happened in a high profile game like that arguably the biggest and most high profile game of the
2: 90s that there would be recorded evidence of it yeah You'd know about it, surely. Well, if you've got any more on that, let us know. Hello at quicklykevin.com. All right. You're about to hear McAteer. If you want this episode, no ads, plus get all the episodes this series a week early, plus all the extra bonus episodes we've been doing for years, you can sign up to the Quickly Kevin Fan Club at anotherslice.com forward slash quicklykevin, where you also get, as a benefit, access to pre-sale tickets should we announce a live show. There you go. Anotherslice.com forward slash quicklykevin now. Let's get to the main event. Here he is. Liverpool zone, Bolton's own, Republic of Ireland's own, Jason McAtee. Our guest this week has one of the most incredible rags-to-riches story in 90s football. From being 19 years old and on the dole to playing at a World Cup within five years. It's our pleasure to welcome to quickly,
0: Kevin, Jason McAteer. How are you, boys? How about some build-up you give me there.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's a crazy story that I didn't fully know before I researched this interview. Being on the dole to yeah. playing in a World Cup in five years... Can you remember every detail about being on the dole and like how far into the week that money stretched? And do you enjoy the expression, rags to riches?
0: <laughs> before I answer all them questions, right, you've <laughs> built me up, right? And before I come on, I went onto your Wikipedia page and I think there's 92 people you've had on before me. And that is some build-up <laughs> to be about 97th person to be asked. What's going
1: on? I must stress, Jason, I'm making my first appearance as co-host of this podcast. And not only was your appearance a key condition of my joining up, Chris has always said, we'll get McAteer in the first (laughs) hundred. He didn't specify exactly when, but he said it would be the top hundred.
0: Mate, I have a problem with being outside of top hundreds because I believe I'm Liverpool's well, I keep getting told by my mates, it keeps creeping up as they sign better players. So I've gone to about 150th best Liverpool player ever when Ragnar Clavin is better than you. but I have a problem with things like that, mate, I'm telling you. So thanks for getting me underneath the 100th, the cut mark. I feel a lot better now. Thanks very much. Right, back to the question. What did you ask me? Like, do I remember being on the dole?
2: How much do you remember being on the dole? And like, Do you remember how you spent your money before all the craziness began? Do those memories stay with you? Well, all £52 of it, I think it
0: was back then. <laughs> I do, mate. Yeah, it was just a consequence of how my life was going, to be honest. I'd have to start at the beginning to give some context to why I ended up on the Dole. So to paint the scene, there was no academies back then. It was like School of Excellence. Your dad's mate who was scouting for Tranmere or Blackburn Rovers used to come down and watch the local games in a long coat with Blackburn and he put his initials on the front just to make sure everyone knew he was a scout. They used to come to the games and they'd literally watch and if anyone was any good, they'd go, do you want a trial for Tramia? Do you want a trial for Liverpool? Do you want a trial for Everton? I kind of went through that process really when you were kind of like 14, 15, when you were just getting to your exams and what have you in school. So I had trials for Manchester United, I had trials for Everton, I had trials for Tramia. And I was really small. I didn't grow. Very quickly, so I was kind of still small, still underdeveloped. I missed out, really missed out, because the football clubs were taking the more developed lads, the quicker, the more physical lads. They were getting the opportunities. So I got to about fifteen years of age, and my mum said to me, "Listen, you're running out of time here. Football is not on the agenda. Obviously, academically, you've not done very well in your CSes and your O levels. So, like, what are you going to do?" So. I kind of had a thing for art. I was really good at art. So I wanted to go to art school and study graphic design or some kind of art course. But in a last ditch attempt to try and get myself a trial, and I was a massive Liverpool fan, I wrote to Jim Will Fix It I wrote Jimmy Savile. I did not see this coming. <laughs> this is a complete
2: handbrake turn of an
0: anecdote. <laughs> yeah. So it, you, follow the, you follow the, I don't know if the rules, but Dear Jim. It used to be Dear Jim, didn't it? And it was like, please, could you fix it for me to have a trial for Liverpool? So I didn't hear back. So I was like, that was my last attempt, really, at being a professional footballer. And Jimmy Savile messed it up. So, yeah.
2: To be fair, that's a better outcome than Jimmy Savile's. It was the reason for your whole career. <laughs> I think that worked yeah. out for the
0: best. But I was devastated, mate. I was devastated. But yeah, I got to the point of 16. I'd done a graphic design course, which I was terrible at. I literally come to the end of my course. And my mum went, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm really terrible at graphic design. So I had this spell of maybe a month where I signed on the dole. I wasn't alone because it was late 80s in the north of England on Merseyside where unemployment was through the roof, and it was just the thing to do. So, yeah, I signed me cheque. I don't know what I did with the money. I have no idea, but I continued playing local football, and basically I was working in a pub as well. I was a barman in a pub as well to pay for my college course. It inspired me to maybe plant a seed to try a little bit harder. Can I ask what sort of art you were doing at the time, Jason? I was doing graphic design. So we'd done a year where you'd have a little bit of everything. And our art school, Withens Lane, it was called, it was in a place called Wallasey. Listen, I just wanted to play football. So I was just at my lunch hour. I'd go out and I'd do the morning classes. And then I'd go for my dinner, play football for about two and a half hours, go back in, because it obviously wasn't like school, and then finish up what we had to do and then go home. And I just did that on repeat. So I played football for about two and a half hours a day with my mates in the dinner hour.
2: Did you draw any footballers? Were you drawing any stadiums or anything like Did you manage to crowbar anything in?
0: No, I went down the graphic design route. So I was designing letterheads, compliment slips and business cards and <laughs> just shit like that, really. <laughs> I was terrible at it. Even at letterheads? Yeah. You'd think you couldn't get that wrong, really. Yeah, well, I wasn't academically, like, the brightest, was I? So spelling was, <laughs> was a bit difficult. You've got to be quick. Graphic design is about churning out <laughs> ideas, 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 getting them on paper and going, yeah, do you like that? And they go, yeah, 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 and then that's it. I just wanted to play football. I just spent four years dossing around, in all honesty, in college. yeah, And I found out what girls were and this kind of stuff, and that was it.
2: The famous story is that you get scouted, you're playing for Marine Reserves, a semi-professional club, and you get spotted playing against Bolton Wanderers, and what I presume was a friendly. Did you go into that game knowing the magnitude of what it could mean for you? Did you go into that knowing, I could get signed by Bolton if I play whale herd"?
0: The story with that was, which again was a bit of a strange one, I'm working in the pub one night, which was just up the road from Tramia Rovers, it's called the Sportsman's Arms, it's at the top of a hill and Tramia was at the bottom of the hill the ground, Prenton Park so Friday Night Football the pub was dead busy all the time but there was a, a fella called Paul Meechin who played centre forward for Marine Marine was a really good team HFS Loans League Rowley Howard who was, was the they said he was Kenny Daglish's window cleaner I don't know how true that was but that was what they said
1: He's the longest serving manager in yeah. world football as recognised by Guinness he was manager of Marine for 30 years is that right?
0: Yeah he was there forever I hated him to be honest <laughs> <laughs> The perfect tribute.
2: Good job, Guinness didn't ask you to present the certificate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I hated him. So Paul Meachin comes into the pub and he says to me, listen, you're doing really well, local football. Do you want to come and have a trial for Marine? Semi-professional team. They might give you expenses, might give you a few quid. What do you think? So I said, yeah, all right. So training was Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I go down there and train. I then got into the reserves because I was decent, to be honest. I was a right back or a right winger. So I got into the reserves. The reserves played in the Lancashire League, which... The teams in the Lancashire League was like Liverpool A-team, Everton A-team, which was all... The kids. So Man United, their class of 92 came through, the A-team. That's where they all started at Man United in this A-team. So the quality was good. It was all the best footballers that had trials and got contracts or got YTSs. So the standard was really, really good. And I kind of come on really quick. And I never played. I played a couple of games for the first team. I was a never consistent player. In the first team, Roly would take me, never play me. He'd take me sometimes just to pick the sweaty undies up and put them in the skip and tidy up and shit like that. So I was always on the edge of the first team and never played. But this league was really, really good for me. But what happened was I got a trial in America for a scholarship. So I went to America for three months. My uncle lived there, and it was through a friend, through a friend, through a friend. And I went to America, got this scholarship, and they said to me, listen, It's all sorted. Your scholarship's here. Four-year scholarship. Go back to England. Do your SAT. And then you'll start in kind of like the February time. So I come home in the December. I remember the fella saying to me, stay fit. Go back to Marine. Play in the reserve. Stay fit. Because when you come back, you're straight in. So I said, "Okay." So I went back, rang Dave Ramsden, reserve team manager. And I said to him, this is that blah, blah, blah. Can I come back? He says, yeah, no problem. So I'll go back, play for Marine. And then we played against Bolton. So in my head, I'm always going back to America. I've got a soccer scholarship. I'm going back to America. I went back to play fit. And I think in some ways, I had nothing to prove. I had nothing to kind of lose when I played. But this game, I was just unbelievable. It was like the perfect storm. Scored a couple, (laughs) set one up. (laughs) Phil Neal was in the stand watching before he went off to his first team game because he was the manager of Bolton. And then after the game, I just go home. And then on the Monday... My mum takes a phone call from Phil Neal saying, hi, I've got your phone number from Dave Ramsden. We'd like Jason to come for a trial at Bolton next week. So my mum's like, yeah, no problem. Gets the details, whatever. Puts the phone down. I go in on the training on the Tuesday, go and see Dave Ramsden. And he says to me, I Howard wants to see you. So I was on non-contract at Marine. So I go in and see Roly. Howard. He just puts a piece of paper in front of me. Go sign that. So I said, well, what is it? He said, it's a contract. I shit myself. I said, Well, can I let me mum and dad have a look at it? So bear in mind, I'm like £90, £100 a week. So he says, Yeah, but make sure it's signed on Thursday. So I go home, tell my mum. She rings Phil Neal, and Phil Neal says, If you sign that contract, we'll have to pay 10000 15000 to Marine because you're on contract. We'll have to buy you. Don't sign it. Now I'm like, "Roly, I was going to kick my head in on Thursday. It's like, What am I going to do? So I go in and see Rolly <laughs> out. I was like, Shaking like a shitting dog, I tell you. I was like, I was gone. <laughs> Stop gone in like that. He said, have you signed it? I said, no. I said, you know, I've got a trial for Bolton. He says, yeah, yeah. He said, you'll be back here before you know it. He said, you'll be signing it then. I said, yeah, yeah okay. Let's just see what happens. Went for a trial the next week. Sammy Lee picked me up. Central Liverpool. I got what? a train to Liverpool. Sammy Lee was a Bolton. Yeah, They arranged a lift for me. Sammy Lee Sammy picked Lee. me up.
2: They must have fancied you already. Surely Sammy Lee's not going around picking everyone up.
0: No, well, Sammy lived in Liverpool. I had to get a train to Liverpool. Oh, okay. And it, so I met him like at the train station. They just said, So can you pick this kid up? So he's picked him up. I'm now like Liverpool mad. Like Sammy Lee's picking me up. I was like saving bites two nights before. It's like, what is going on here? So next thing I'm going down all the way to Bolton, Sammy Lee. Basically, a week's trial after three days, they offered me a contract. So overnight I have become a Bolton player. That's mad. But also the fee. Is it true? £500 and a bag of footballs? There was no fee. It was a goodwill yesterday. They give them a bag of balls and they paid 500 quid. That's what Marine got you. Yeah, that's true. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has
2: experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
0: Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! You're the first
2: footballer we've spoken to whose home ground was Burndon Park, which from afar was a supermarket behind the stand, most famously. But I wondered, what was the facilities like inside? What was it like to be a professional footballer playing for Bolton at Burndon Park?
0: Well I'd gone from playing in the park and playing just playing on dog shit, but it was just I've had this trial, they give me a contract. So I carried on going in with Sammy for a bit. And then I got a loan from the bank for a thousand pounds. And I bought myself a mini metro. Honest to God, this car blue. I'll never forget it. My first car. <laughs> I got insured. Me nan, my nan paid for me insurance. And I was up and down that M62, and there was a load of scouts playing. Darren Oliver, Andy Roscoe. Neil Fisher, Stubbsy. But Stubbsy was in the first team. Stubbsy was like driving in an Orion. So I was picking some of the lads up. So we go in. Obviously, I was in the reserves under Steve Carroll. But to be honest, I know this is crazy. Phil Neal was the manager. I instantly thought, I'm better than this lot. I don't know what <laughs> it was, but I just felt like I'm better. I was like dead fit, proper engine. I just stood out. So the facilities were very basic. We trained our halls Remember Hall's mentalitis, the sweets
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We
0: trained on their facilities, so it stunk. The air was sweet. The smell was just disgusting, but you got used to it. We had this training session once. We were doing these relays, and the facilities was just this, like, massive bit of grass, which they marked out a football pitch. But on the side of the pitches was where the assembly points were in case there was a fire or an emergency. So there was, like, them metal signs with, like, street signs we were doing relays around the pitch one time. And I remember Jimmy was looking for the baton. And as he took the baton, he turned and he ran into one of these. I shouldn't laugh, it a massive big scar. It just cut his <laughs> head open. There was no health and safety back then. It was literally, it wasn't jumpers for goalposts, but it was pretty basic. We had a little five-a-side astro at the back of the ground. We trained on the pitch and it was just very, very basic. But I was a professional footballer, so I just yeah. did not care.
2: After the mini-metro came, the Lotus Elan, I read about. You became a little bit obsessed. How did that go down, pulling that up into the training ground?
0: So Phil Neal gets the sack at the end of the season, which was the best thing for me. wasn't so good for Phil, but it was the best <laughs> thing for me. Because Bruce Rio came in and Bruce just had a clear out. Like Reeves and Phil are scared, the the Iceman, they went. Mark Kane went. There was a lot of old legs in that team. And one by one, they went, Felgate, the keeper went. So Bruce had a lot of Scottish connections. Ian McNeil became the scout, lovely fella then. Brought down Andy Walker, John McGinley, Owen Coyle, all these players came down. But we had some really good kids, really good kids. There was myself, Stubbsy, like I named them before. He started giving us our opportunities. So my contract was up at the end of the season. Phil Neil only gave me a contract from January to May, June. So it was up. But I'd done really well. So Steve Carroll had obviously put me forward. So I signed a new contract under Bruce riock and Colin Todd. So then I was in the first team squad, training with the first team. But Bruce said to me, he said, when you start doing well, I'll give you a new contract. Every time I think you've reached what I think you're reaching, I'll give you a new contract. So he gives me this new contract. And I went from £100 a week to 250 Then it went to 500 quid. I was signing a new contract. Like every six months, I was signing a new contract. Yeah. Got to this contract, it was like a grand a week. Maybe not even that. Maybe it was the 500 quid one. Of course, I've hit the jackpot here. So me and Stubbsy now, we kind of broke away and we were kind of on the brink of the first team. We get in the first team for the FA Cup, scoring the FA Cup first round against Rochdale at home, Berndon Park. But when we used to drive in, I don't know if you remember old Berndon Park, used to drive down a hill. A bit like Ewood Park, you used to come down. There was a garage, a little tiny garage. And in this garage, there was a green Lotus Elan, And I swear to God, it used to wink at me every morning. I used to drive <laughs> past it, right, thinking, I love that car. That's the bollocks, that car. And it used to just look at me. It was racing green with a black hood. So I signed this new contract and I thought, I'm having that car. Right, me and Stubbsy go in. So Stubbsy, I'm buying that car. i tell you what I was in now, a Ford Fiesta. So I go in. I said to the fella, can I buy that Lotus Elan? He goes, yeah. So I write him a cheque, and I bought the car. So I go into training. Second day, I park it. Bruce Rear comes in the dressing room. He goes, who's the green Lotus Elan in the car park? I went, shit. Gaffer, it's mine. He goes, come and see me after training. Going to his office. He goes to me. Spoken to the fella at the garage. He's got a cheque waiting for you. I went, what for? He went, get that car back to that garage and go and buy yourself a proper car. <laughs> he went, you're not driving down lm 62 in that. I'm like, could it just have it for a week? He's like, no, get that car back to that garage. So I walk in the garage, the fella's laughing his head off. He just goes like that, gives me my check. And Stubbsy took me home. I had to buy a new car. And I bought the Boxall, like the proper car.
1: Did you have to keep driving past the Elan you'd given back? Yeah, I was devastated.
0: That's heartbreaking. Yeah. I was absolutely devastated. Can
2: you imagine that now? You'd never get a manager go, "You can't drive that car. You've got to send that car back." And then the manager would know the dealer and do the deal. It's crazy.
0: It was absolutely crazy, but it was the '90s is the strongest, biggest generation of change in yeah. professional football. It changed overnight. So many things happened. the money from Sky. And the change, the revolution, how managers changed, how this happened, how that happened. It was the best 10 years.
2: One thing about Bruce Reeok, like that's such a great anecdote that you've just told there about making you swap the car. But another thing I heard you say is that once Bolton was selling tickets for a big cup game and he made the players go out and bring tea and coffee to everyone waiting in the queue. Yeah. Why was that? To kind of ground the players and to give back to the community?
0: We had loads of stuff. So Bruce would make us, if it was your birthday, there was a pie and cake shop. Opposite Burnham Park, best pies ever. And on your birthday, you had to buy, it was something like 32 pies or 32 cakes, if it was your birthday. So you'd have to order them the day before and they bring it over. And all the players would sit in the dressing room after training, eating pies, having a <laughs> laugh and banter. The big bath, the old big <laughs> bath was there. We'd get in that.
1: When Yaya Torre complained like, that he didn't get a birthday cake at Man City, were you reading that thinking, you've got off lucky back in my day, you'd be buying <laughs> cake for the entire squad? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was like you have no idea, mate. It's like never mind. Someone buy you one. You had to buy the whole squad and staff. Yeah, and you'd all sit around, and there'd be pies left over in the end. They'd be lashing stuff at you. I mean, God, the things that went on. I mean, the cup final thing, Bolton, the history of Bolton. It's such a an old fashioned club that embraces its fans and it was a real community. And Bruce changed the fortunes of the football club around. I mean, we got promoted. I think in his first season, I think we beat Preston and got promoted. Then, like, this team grew and grew and grew. We added to it. Andy Walker was unbelievable. John McGinley started scoring goals for fun. Like, I was now established in the midfield with Tony Kelly. He used to just sit there and play. I'd be running off him. Then you'd have like Stubbsy at the back. He was spraying balls left foot, right foot. It was brilliant. And we were just going on these cut runs. It might have been the Liverpool game, the return game at Anfield, I think it was. The queue up Burnden Park, of the ticket office was, was for miles. And we got back from training and the big teapots, the big massive ones. He made us go out and give all the fans like paper cups or whatever cups we were and just like pour tea. And everyone had cups of tea as we went round. Because obviously, when would it have been? January, the third round, January, yeah, freezing. So everyone's queuing and we're all out there giving them cups of tea and that.
2: <laughs> it's so good. I was getting a lot of nostalgia reading about this Bolton team because the start of Bolton being a real force in English football, like this is the very start of this great run that will go on for probably more than a decade, I would say. And the characters you've got in that team, Alan Stubbs, you mentioned Alan Thompson, Miksu and John McGinley. Was it just a great dressing room?
0: Yeah. Like we weren't allowed to go out. Like Bruce Riach, I swear, was like my dad. He was like, you stay away from Phil Brown. You do not go out in Bolton <laughs> I was scared to of him. It's like I love him to death. I genuinely love this man. I'd come from this background. I was thrown into professional football. I didn't know how you behaved or what you were allowed to do, what you weren't allowed to do. I was literally learning on the job. So to have him keep me in check and tell me what to do, you go home straight after training, you don't go out, get yourself a girlfriend. <laughs> Let's just leave that. Yeah, get yourself a girlfriend. That'll do. Yeah, you won't be going out then. <laughs> Fine. All right, so you out and get yourself a girlfriend. You know, success when it's not going well. A lot of people complain, players will moan. When it's all going well, it just takes care of itself. And we were sponsored by Reebok, which was amazing because we looked good. The kit was good. I got a boot contract with Adidas, so I was now an Adidas staff player. So I was getting free boots, which Tony Kelly would nick. I was going to the the Stockport, to the factory in Stockport and getting all my mates trackies and trainees and polos and t-shirts. And I was still living the dream. It was like, just couldn't get any better. We were playing against Liverpool in the FA Cup at Anfield. We were knocking Everton out the Cup. Arsenal went to Arsenal, scored against Highbury. And with that becomes headlines. Now me and Alan Stubbs were the back page of papers and George Graham is watching. Like Liverpool are watching Alan Stubbs. Alex Ferguson, Brian Kidd are coming down from United. We used to go in and put our tickets in the ticket office. You'd write out your tickets for your family and your mates or whatever. Go on the ticket office, you'd say to one of the girls, the tickets, who's coming tonight, she'd just show you the guest list. It'd be like, George Graham's coming, Ron Yates is coming, Alex Ferguson. It was just brilliant. And then we got promoted. The big season was the 94, 95 season. I'm not great with dates, but it was the season we got promoted and got to the League Cup final.
1: Can you tell us a bit about the League Cup semi finals that year, Chase? Do you remember much about those? Wolves, wasn't it? It was actually Swindon Town as a record. Sorry. That's devastating.
2: <laughs> Should explain Ivo's a Swindon fan, and that's a dagger to his heart. I'm a Swindon fan, so I've zeroed
1: in pretty quickly on your I think Bolton played Swindon four times that season. I know you're involved in at least three of them. And I'd like to talk about Steve McMahon's red card.
0: Who then said it wasn't a red card? He nearly, if I hadn't jumped. I would not be on this podcast right now.
1: (laughs) Wow. And was that a weird feeling having grown up as a Liverpool fan? You've got one of the great Liverpool players of the 80s diving in on you.
0: So football around that time was kind of the end of Jimmy Case, Steve McMahon, Brian Robson, Ronnie Whelan. So I'd played against them all. And I I swear, mate, they talk about hard men in football like Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones weren't hard. Vinnie was just a bully. These players were like, hard they would like snap you in half go down the back here elbow you off the ball punch you off the ball call you all kinds of names they were just ruthless so i've had a bit of jimmy case i've had a bit of brian robson and then obviously McMahon swindon so i knew he was going to come looking for me and he launched himself from 1985 and landed in 1994 didn't he like like i said if i hadn't jumped he would have snapped me in half he protested and said it wasn't a red card, didn't he?
1: And not only that, but the Swindon Town <laughs> halftime announcer was also sacked and booted out the ground. He said over the tannoy that it was a crap oh. decision. He <laughs> had to walk immediately.
0: <laughs> he got sacked, didn't he? Yeah. It was what? brilliant, yeah. Steve McMahon, I'm obviously friends with Macca now. Like, he's still as hard and bitter as what he was back then, <laughs> but like I am mates with Macca. And he, now he says it wasn't a foul. I'm like, Macca, you launched yourself from <laughs> Flippin' Island and landed in Swindon. Oh my God.
2: <laughs> you mentioned there the great names that were coming to watch Bolton games. Do you remember the first time Jack
0: Charlton appeared on that list? Do you remember the first time? I instigated that really. Jack came for the Everton game. But Jimmy Armfield, Bruce called me into his office. Oh my God, if he called you into his office after training. So Toddy had come in. It was like, good cop, bad cop. Toddy was like, good cop. So he'd come in his dressing room. And he'd have a bit of banter with all the lads and all that. Like if Toddy would be the one who, it was someone's birthday, he'd come in for a pie, Toddy. Like Bruce wouldn't come in, but Toddy would come in and sit around and he'd have a laugh. And he's a ledge. I mean, he's Colin Todd. He's ledge, isn't Derby flipping out. Not a great Swindon manager, but that's fine. Can't filter it <laughs> all through Swindon. He was at Swindon, yeah. Roy Evans as well. We hey, our paths cross a lot, don't we? Oh, don't worry. We'll get to Roy Evans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Neil Ruddock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they messed it up, didn't they? Oh. So anyway, yeah, I went in to see him. And Jimmy Arnfield was in his office. Jimmy said, listen, there's an England B game next week. We want you to play. Jim had fixed it. Jim, Jim, Jim did play just a different gym, yeah. He goes, will you play for England? So I said, yeah, all right, yeah. He said, right, I'll get the secretary to send the details. I mean, this is all happening over like two and a half years. This, this is like signing on the dole. Buying a Lotus Alana and getting asked to play for England by Jimmy Armfield. It's like, whoa. So he went and I said to Bruce Rayoff, who obviously was born in England, but played for Scotland and I went to Bruce. I said, listen, I want to play for the Republic of Ireland. I'll tell you why I wanted to play for the Republic of Ireland. In 1990, I was working in the pub, the sportsmen's I was telling you about. And we obviously had all the games on from the World Cup in 1990. And the Irish team and then white shell suits, I swear to God, I used to watch all the games and it just looked like they were having the best time. They went to see the Pope. It was like everyone was following them around. It was like Liverpool players all over the place, Thornton, Aldrich, Houghton, Whelan. And I was like, oh my God, how good would it be to play for them? Jack was the manager. And they just looked half cut all the time, didn't they? So anyway, I said to Bruce Rayock, and he said to me, is anyone Irish in your family? He said, I think my granddad's Irish, yeah. (laughs) So he goes to me, we'll find out. (laughs) So I went home, and I said to my mum and dad, I said, listen, I've been asked to play for England. They were like, made up. I said, but I want to play for Ireland. And my dad went, your granddad's from Ireland? I was like, where from? He said, I don't know. He died. Like, I never met him or anything, but he was born in Ireland. This is the God's honest truth, right? So I'll go back and say to Bruce, listen, my grandfather's Irish. So back in 94, you didn't have to prove it. What? You could play for Ireland on an English passport. You didn't have to prove it.
2: Is this how, like, Cascarino got away with it? I assumed there was some sort of forgery, but they're not even checking.
0: No, Cas was adopted. Right. I don't think there was an adoption rule, like, back then. (laughs) I don't think there is one. But he played because he was adopted by an Irish family. So he just went, well, my mum and dad are Irish. Okay, you can play. So basically, they notified the FAI. So Jack came down. We played against Everton. They said to me, listen, Jack's in the Players' Lounge. you want to speak to you? And I went in. And I'd met Kenny in the Players' Lounge before. There's only a certain amount of people I've met in the game that carry a presence. They carry an aura about them. You're in the presence of, like, these legends, but they carry themselves as legends. It's weird. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation.
2: Paolo De Canio last week. I was like, wow, this guy. He's got that aura. He's got the magic.
0: I'm in this situation now, what I do now. I'm like, Rude to my best fate How's that happen? <laughs> <It's like, laughs> <mate. laughs> I was playing Would You Rather with Rude Hullett on Wednesday night. <laughs> honest to God, it was brilliant. It was like, Rudy, would you rather? What a life. <laughs> what a life. <laughs> yeah. oh, he's brilliant. I love Rudy. He's great. Mm. So anyway, so I say to Jack, I go over and see him. I go, hey, Mr Charlton. He goes, listen, I've heard you've been asked to play for England. But I want you to come and have a player friendly for the Republic of Ireland. It's against Russia, two weeks time, Lansdowne Road. I'm like that. Whoa, this is amazing! Like I always had a little bit on about like him asking me to bring other Irish players, but that, that didn't happen. Though he did say it to John Aldridge because Ray Alton was Irish, so he told John Aldridge to take Ray Alton with him as well. Bring him, bring your mate with you as well. And I played for Ireland against Russia, Lansdowne Road. Myself, Gary Kelly and Phil Babb We made our debut So we instantly become friends The amigos The three amigos, yeah But touching on the passport thing And this is the truth, right? So when Russia decided to break up And everyone just went their separate ways And I mean, I'm not into history and that But I don't know what happened But they broke up, didn't they?
2: You're basically right, yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, Their separate ways is a lovely way of putting it (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So you wait for turn around. I mean, I don't want to get into anything political or anything, but you wait for turn around and went, listen, if you play for a country, you need to hold the passport of that country. So it was one of them. Shit. So how do we sort this? Another letter to Jimmy Savile. So the secretary rings me from the FAI. She said, listen, we've tracked three McAteers down from the county down region. And we just haven't got enough time to narrow it down to who actually is your grandfather. Could you just pick one of the three for us? (laughs) So I went, Yeah, he'll do. I just picked (laughs) two random fellas, my grandfather. They filled out all the paperwork. This random fella's now my grandfather. And the next game I had for Ireland, they gave me an Irish passport. That's crazy. That's insane.
1: I'd love to see an an episode of Who Do You Think You Are on. fake Irishman of the mid-90s.
0: <laughs> Mate, I am never doing that programme I've exposed. <laughs> yeah. But in all honesty, my grandfather was from County Down. Yeah.
1: When they say you, you can't choose your family, you're one of the <laughs> only people who actually has. I
0: am. So, um, so, I got the passport and then I was away then. That was me.
2: That, Ireland team of the mid-90s under Jack Charlton, you just seemed to fit exactly into that. It was just so obvious that you all got on. Was it so much fun to be involved with that Ireland team?
0: Right, that's another podcast, that is. <laughs> in a nutshell. So I joined up, obviously play the Russia game, and then they qualified for the World Cup, and England hadn't qualified for the 94 World Cup in America. So the only games that were available to me before a new campaign was the warm-up games, so, hey, this is funny, this, right? So we we go to Hanover to play against Germany. And me and Gaddy start the game. I don't know if Phil started. I know Gary because he scored. But we stuck up with a really good relationship. He was at Leeds. I was still at Bolton. So I played right wing. He played right back. Young, we roomed together. it off straight away. Kels is mad. Itted it off straight away. But we come into an aging Irish team. So it's from 88, really, up until now, 94. They've been together a long time. And it was aging. So 94 was going to be the end of a lot of them. You look at the team list, it was like players from Man United, Aston Villa, Tottenham. It was littered with Premier League players. And quality, like Paul McGrath, Aldo, Ray, Ronnie, Andy Townsend, Packy was still in goal. It was just like brilliant. Tell you what happened. When you join up, we used to stay in the airport hotel, and there's like a little village called Malahide, and it was like full of pubs. The best pub in the world is there called Kidneys, right? So I join up. It was a Sunday afternoon. I fly in for this game against Russia, and the physio picks me up, takes me back to the hotel, and he goes, right, we're training tomorrow, 10 o'clock, breakfast is at nine. He said, so don't be late. He said, but all the boys are out, and you'll find them in Gibney's. So get yourself ready, get yourself down there. He says, we'll drop you off. So I go into Gibney's, and out the back, they used to have this, like, well, back then it was country and western. I've walked in, right, and John Aldridge and Ray Houghton are doing line dancing. Right in Gibney's, <laughs> like doing that thing where they go like that and turn around and everything, like doing all this. And I'm like, oh my God, the man is two Liverpool players. They're now line dancing, like with the thumbs in the pockets and all that. Right. I remember going up to the barman, and that's going to be Saves Guinness as well. I was like, I-, I just didn't know like, what was going on. Like, did you do Guinness? He's like, what? I'm like, you sell Guinness. So, like, in the end, you're writing with the lads and you're sitting with them, and they're all like, so you'd have a good night Sunday night. And then you train the next day and then obviously the game. So fast forward to Hanover. I'm now back in the squad. We're in Hanover playing Germany. They're the world champions. So Andreas Bremer, who'd scored the winner in the 1990 World Cup final penalty, he's on the bench. So there's this young German kid playing left back. Mate, I tore the out of him. I set one up for Cass. <laughs> he scores with his head. Gary Kelly scores. Jack's told us, like, that's the game. He went, right, I'm taking these two coming on the plane to the World Cup. After the game, final whistle goes. Andreas has not got on. I was shaking hands. I could see him, right? Because he's a lead. He's Andreas Bramer. He like, scored the winner in the 1990 World Cup. I'm like, I can see him. Klinsmann's played. Like, they've all played. Lothar Mateus has played. He's now walking towards me. And he's got his top in his hand because he hasn't come on. So he's got a shirt in his hand. And he's come up to me and he's gone, well played in his German accent. He's gone to me, this is for you. I went, oh, thanks very much. And I've gone like that to take my top off. And he went, no, no, it's fine you keep your shirt like that. And I went, oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> proper embarrassed. It's like, you didn't want me shirt. You didn't want it. It's like proper custom me. Like, fuck yeah. So anyway, don't remember much then between then and obviously the World Cup. And then next thing I'm on the plane and we're going to America. I'm part of the squad.
2: Would this be the start of your relationship with Roy Keane? Had you met him before coming into the Island squad?
0: No. But obviously I'd met him through the warm-up games and stuff. But Roy was like carrying a bit of timber, would go off with his brothers, wouldn't mix with me and Gary and Phil, not interested. He was quite aloof. He'd had a few problems with a couple of players in the squad in 90, in around 92, 93. That's where the argument with Mick McCarthy started in 92 in America. They went to America after the season and they played a few games and the relationship soured then. That was the start of the end if you know what I mean. yeah. So I didn't really have much to do with him, to be honest, in the early days.
2: I mean, obviously you and Roy famously, well-documented, had lots of ups and downs throughout your career. What's your relationship like now? And what do you make of this new persona? He seems to, the kind of self-knowing Roy Keane that we see now where he's maybe not taking himself as seriously as he has in the past.
0: Well, our relationship was always up and down. And it was up and down, depending on his mood swings, to be honest. I mean, I remember joining up one time. I was, I played, so I joined up late. And I went straight in for food. We had a private room straight in. I, obviously, you go in, all the lads, like big, massive family. So we're like, hi, hey, mate, Kel's big hug and all that. And I remember tapping him on the shoulders and going around one of the tables. And I went, am hey, mate. And he was eating his dinner like that. And he just went, I'm not your fucking mate, like that. And I just went, okay, no problem. I just moved around. I'm like, I'll be behind his back and everyone's laughing and stuff our relationship it was a funny one really I can't speak for him I would say if I had to have a guess at it he respected me as a player we were very close on the pitch I remember kung fu in They took some fellas head off once from Macedonia. again know, it was like a big melee, and I need one of the players right in the bollocks because I'd already had the red card. So I thought, like, I'm in now. Like, so I need him right the bollocks. <laughs> and then I put me full through the dressing room door as I went in. He was there fighting for me, and like, if it to go off with him, I'd be there for him. So I think we had respect from that point of view, but it was a weird one because I signed for Liverpool just after he signed for Man United. So we kind of clashed then. It was the Liverpool-Man United thing then. So we were never, ever close. And the mad thing was, the closest I felt to him, well, it would be 2000, the campaign, I felt the closest to him. And when you ask about this persona, Roy has always played the pantomime villain. But what you see now when you see the jokey side of him and the jovial side and he's and he's in amongst it and all that and he's one liners, he's very quick, the majority of the time, that's how we had him. So when he's like doing all this, staring people down and being aggressive and he's like this and that, I used to just look at him thinking, you're playing a character here. You're fooling everyone because this is not you. You can play it and you can play it very well, but this is not you. I know who you are. So when you see it now, I'm kind of glad people are getting to see that side of him because there is that side of him that's dead funny and he is quick-witted and he is very dry and he's not aggressive all the time.
1: Can I ask, Jason, I saw you and David Connolly saying about 2002 in Saipan that when he left, he took a load of DVDs that he borrowed off you <laughs> and you were worried about getting blockbuster <laughs> fines and things. Can you clarify, what kind of DVDs would those have been? Like the Apple
0: variety. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No Mate, six weeks away is a long time. 94, there was no DVDs. This was like, we're in a new age here. It's 2002, it's like, technology's moved on. You could get like 20 DVDs quite easily into a, a World Cup Copa Mundial box. Adidas Copa Mundial, you can get them neatly inside that. Don't worry about that.
1: And Roy Keane <laughs> stormed off and he's taken the full squad lot. Oh, man.
0: That's surely the biggest accusation of the whole thing. Mate, the funniest thing was when he knocked on my door and asked if he could lend one. That was the funniest thing. You just (laughs) open your door, You net Of all the people you're in the squad with, even the staff, so you probably, there's 40 of you. He's the last one I would have said that knocked on my door looking for something. So, yeah, we just gave him the best one I had, and off he went. He didn't bother to slip it back under the door as he's leaving camp. He stormed out after the argument with Mick, went to his room, he told everyone he's going home. Arguably the best midfielder of his generation at the time, at his peak. He's decided he's going home in the World Cup. And by the way, he's going home. And the first thing that went through my head was, how am I going to get my DVD
1: back?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not thinking we could go out here early, <laughs> we could get battered here. I'm thinking, how am I going to get me Jenna Jameson DVD back? And <laughs> 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 I knocked on his door and I asked for it back. <laughs> he said to me, I'll put it under your door in the morning. And then I got up in the morning and it wasn't there. He must have left it in his room. He's not taking that back through customs, is he? I
2: read years later, that, I think when you were playing for Sunderland and he was playing for Man United, you played each other and you've said that you knew at that point in your career how to get in his head. Did you mention the Jenna Jameson DVD? Was that the thing that got in his head? <laughs>
0: no, no. Is
2: it unbroadcastable?
1: No, no. Well, there's quite a clear clip of you saying, write a fucking book about it when you clash Sunderland-Liverpool. Only a few months after that, right?
0: Yeah, it wasn't years after. So he goes home, and we we all do well. But to be honest, mate, we were plotting our way at least to the semi-finals. That mad stuff. We <laughs> plotted our way with blue balls. <laughs> we drew with Germany. <laughs> so Spain were like, we're in Spain of 2010. This was like an age in Spain team. Loads of kids hanging around, dude. And we should have won the game. If you look the game, we missed a penalty in normal time. Went out on penalties, but we would have played. It was either Korea or Germany. So I think it was Korea. And then it was Germany or the other way around. And then we would have been in the semi final. And we worked out that we probably would have played Brazil in the final where we would have got beat, obviously. But we plotted our way to the final. But anyway,
1: we get knocked out on pens. It was a weird World Cup, that World Cup 2002, with Korea and Turkey in the semis. You really felt like anyone could have made it to the final, really, that like, year. Would you have liked to take a penalty against Spain in the second round? No, I was
0: shit at penalties. I couldn't handle it. As Sunderland <laughs> fans. <laughs> if I was any good at penalties. Missed one in a playoff semi, didn't I? Fucking know Against Palace. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was over it until you brought it up. <laughs> Fucking hell. You never want to miss a penalty in a game like that. At home as well. And then I got bin bagged afterwards as well. My contract was up. It was like, thanks, but no thanks. Off you go. Anyway, back to the World Cup. I mean, my theory on that was there was a meeting with the lads and there was no one else in the meeting, just the players. It was 23 of us. It was 24 months. Well, whatever. It was all of us apart from Roy. And Quinny just basically went, right, it's a vote. Who wants him back? Who doesn't want him back? So he went, right, who wants him back? And a couple of players put their hand up. Who doesn't want him back? 22 players put their hand up. And I, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I think he found out that the players were against him. And it was one of them, like, he's he's gone home. We've got to get on with it now. What soured it for me was, in a selfish way, 94 was like a stag. I swear to God, that World Cup was like going away with 23 mates (laughs) on the air, doing whatever you wanted, right? No one finding out. And it was just playing four games of footy and then going home. We even went to Disney at one point and a water (laughs) park. It was the best six weeks of my life. If you said to me you could go back and do six weeks again, it would be that six weeks. It was the best. Obviously getting to the World Cup again in 2002, although I was older. No one follows Ireland around, really, the press, the media. There's no story. It's all England, Italy, Spain, Brazil, whatever. So gone to Saipan, Roy had got home, and then, the consequence of that was the world's media because we, we weren't letting the story out. Everyone was trying to find out the truth and we just couldn't go out. We just couldn't. It was ageing by the day. He was press, It was like an island. It was split the country in half. Instead of everyone being with us, which 94 was, it was like it was the first tournament since 94. We'd been knocked out in playoffs and it should have been a celebration and it just wasn't. So it was hard, really. It was a really hard World Cup. Yeah, so a lot of the players were upset with him for doing that, really. So obviously, we would like, right, we'll do it on our own. So we did. We, you know, we should have beat Spain. We went back as heroes. We got a great reception. And then what happened is Roy brought his book out, which was brought out at the beginning of that season after the World Cup. I think he'd gone to Ipswich, smashed Matthew Holland. He'd gone to Leeds and done Ian Hart. And then his book come out the day we played them, Sunderland, Man United, the Stadium Alight. His book had come out. So I went in the dressing room and someone had put his book on me towel. So I was like, oh, funny, funny. I said to one of the kids who was on duty, I said, when Man United come in, go to the dressing room, get him to sign that. So the book come back to me and it was all signed. They didn't say it was for me. I've got his book in my house and he signed it. You know, you do that thing, don't you, where you flick to the back of the book and look for your name. It was like page 94, 95, 96, 97. So quickly scanned it and he battered me in his book. like well, He hammered me. I think he called me thick and no idea why. <laughs> so he'd had a right <laughs> goal at me. And then we went out and played. They went 1-0 up. And then I ran off him. If you watch the game, I run off him. And I get into the box, go around the keeper, square it, and Tor Andre Flo scores. We make it 1-1. One, one. Then I run off him again and I smash one into the top corner. And I think Carroll was in goal, I think. And he paddies it onto the bar and goes over. And then we have this like clash in the middle of the park. I take a bad touch. He nips in front. I pull him back. The two of us go at it, and we're like that. And he's like, "I'm going to rip you up and head off. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to do that." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he's like this, and he's and Uriah Rennie's in between us. And I knew I was safe. And he's all over it. Yeah, he's like a black belt in karate. He's like, "I knew I was safe." <laughs> so I'm like behind Uriah Rennie like ah, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me all this. So in the end, I just went to him. Why don't you just put it in your neck? book and I'll read all about it like the first one and I give it like one the steam's coming out of his ears and I'm like
1: Beckham's just laughing all the way through it's a great clip McAteer Keen, Beckham Rennie it's perfect
0: yeah together at last I got that picture someone sent me that picture and it was up in my toilet wall in my old house for years I put it up for years I used to laugh my head off every time I was having a take it was brilliant (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, it gets to like the last minute of the game. We're in injury time. They had a corner. It gets punched out and everyone clears the box. I didn't even see it coming. I just felt whack on the side of my ear. He'd run past me and just gone, bosh. Dumb me on the side of the face caught me like me. You know when, like when you do your jaw and you're like, oh. So I go down on one knee. I didn't like fall over like Nanny did against Liverpool and rolled around crying and all that. I just like went down on one knee. Beckham's over again he's like what are you doing like next thing in, he was just standing there he just sends him off so he gets sent off funny enough the next day I'm fly out to play for Ireland on the Sunday and I get a phone call in the airport from the news of the world they offered me five grand to do a big expose on him like hammering warts and all and I just went no I'm not doing it it was either three or five grand he didn't go play for Ireland he was injured thank god he would have ripped my head off. <laughs> <laughs> So you eventually end up in,
2: you leave Bolton and make your way over to Liverpool eventually. But you had a choice. You had Liverpool, Blackburn, and there was Arsenal we were in for you as well. I heard Bruce Rioch said, I want to sign Roberto Carlos, Dennis Bergkamp and Jason McAteer. They only got one of those three.
0: You'll never hear them three names in the same <laughs> sentence, What a shopping list. It was funny. We are driving into training. Again, like back in the 90s, it's so different. My agent rings. Who happened to be, how mad's this, happened to be Bruce Ryok's brother, right? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Bit like 10 Arg at the minute, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Turns out to be his brother, yeah? No, it was his brother. And he goes, listen, don't go to training. Turn the car around. Blackburn, Kenny Dalglish has bid nine million quid for you and Alan Stubbs. That was obviously eight and a half million for me and 500 grand for Stubbs. <laughs> <laughs> so we literally handbraked the car down and went straight to the ADOC thistle our agent was in there, met up with Kenny Dalglish and God bless him, Ray Arthur. I go in first into a room and it's Kenny Dalglish. I'm like, oh my God. Like, didn't speak. So Kenny's like selling Blackburn to me. Buying the two ears, you're going to play centre midfield, blah, blah, blah. And then halfway through the meeting, my agent's phone goes and he looks at it, right? And you just see his like face. He goes, Kenny can take the call. He goes out the room. I'm sitting there like, Kenny Dalglish is like there. My agent comes in two minutes later. He says, Liverpool have agreed four and a half million quid with Bolton. They've asked us to go and have talks with them tonight. And Kenny just went, the deal's off, if you go. I'm like, what's that mean? So he goes, well, if you don't sign, Alan Stubbs is not signing. Proper tried to bully me into it, right? I'm like, oh my God, it's Liverpool. What do we do here? We go outside and my agent gets us together, me and Alan Stubbs. He tells Stubbsy what's going on. Stubbsy goes, listen, I can't stop you going to Liverpool. I remember him saying to me, if it was Everton, you'd do the same thing. I'm like, not a chance. So <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> so when I go back in and tell Kenny, or my agent does it, I stayed out the way. I went up that night. I went to Anfield, they put all the floodlights on, right? They lit the ground up. It was like he could have done it in a car park in Lincoln. I would have signed anything in a car park. I remember thinking, God. Like, they must really want me. They've lit up the ground and everything. They're like, build up your fortunes. <laughs> so, so, so I went in. They took me up into like one of the boxes. <laughs> i walking the pitch and the, the chief exec's there, Peter Robinson's there and, and Evo. And I go in with my agent. And then Evo was like, trying to sell it to me. It's like, you're going to play in the midfield with Jamie. Barnes is getting old now. This is happening. That's happening. Yan's going this, this. I'm like, brilliant. Yeah. So he said, listen, we need to talk about money. And I said to my agent, it's nothing to do with me. So I said, I'll just go and wait outside. I said to my agent, just don't mess it up for me. And I went back in, put a sign for £100 a week. I didn't have a clue what I'd signed for. So I signed. Turned out it was all structured. So all the lads on my age, like Phil Barb, Rob Jones, Jamie, we were all on the same money. The only two that weren't on the same money was Robbie and Maka. And that was because they come through the system. They were actually on less than us. Yeah. How mad's that? The two yeah. biggest players were on there. Like. That's crazy. It's one of the reasons why Macca left, to be honest. But I shouldn't be telling you that.
2: To be fair, he told us himself,
0: episode fifty-five or so. <laughs> I did see his name. I did see his name. Yeah. <laughs> in between Darren Hockaby, the like,
2: Before me.
0: <laughs> so we get in the car, and I'm like, I've signed for Liverpool. It's like. Four and a half years previous, I'm on Dogshire Park playing for Marine Reserves. It's like waking in a pub. My agent goes, "You need to ring Kenny and tell him." I'm like shit, so I ring Kenny, and he goes, "Hello." I go, "Hi, Kenny. It's Jason MacIntyre." He goes, "Well, I said, listen, thanks very much for the opportunity, but I'm going to sign for Liverpool." Nay bother, son. No bother." He goes, "Enjoy playing at Hague Avenue," and he just put the phone down. I'm like, "Hague Avenue." So it comes off the phone, my agent goes, "Is he all right?" I said, yeah. I said, he's just said to me, enjoy playing a Hague Avenue. I went, who plays a Hague Avenue? And he went, Southport and Liverpool reserves. I went,
2: oh, right. That's a bit mean.
0: Yeah. And he's my hero. He's like (laughs) Kenny's my like my god. He's like my idol. And he never spoke to me for years. Ken never spoke to me for years.
2: What? That's blown my mind. You'd think you know, Liverpool would still be in his heart a bit and he could respect your decision, no?
0: Yeah, but when you look, like because obviously like now we're in this position where like I'm talking to you and I'm telling you all these stories. Roy Keener turned him down. Like everyone's stories coming out now for like the nineties footballers. And you can piece together like how it all evolved. So obviously Roy's turned him down. Then it's like I've then gone and turned him down. Like his head's blown off. He's won the league <laughs> with Blackburn. must be thinking, like, what have I got to do? But I'll Santa for United Liverpool. It's like his head's come off. So now I'm a Liverpool player. You had such an iconic
2: time, I would say, at Liverpool. I mean, we can't have someone who allegedly was in the Spice Boys without asking this question. Have you still got your white suit? No,
0: I've done Soccer am years and years ago. has asked me to take it down and show it off, and I did. In all honesty, from the Cup Final, listen, I grew up, Kenny Dalglish in the park, scoring the winner in the FA Cup Final at Wembley, no Champions League, no European Cup. It was just scoring the winner in the FA Cup Final. I grew up watching it as a kid from nine o'clock in the morning, question sport, all the way through Des and Coleman, Alan Sunderland scoring the winner for Arsenal, Memories, Houchin Header, Clive Allen, Oof, FA Cup's just magical. So to play for Liverpool in the FA Cup, bittersweet because Cantona scored the goal, I was on the post, should have saved it, like all these things afterwards. To lose a cup final, FA Cup final, at Old Wembley, it still upsets me now, but I got to play in an FA Cup final for Liverpool. So my suit... Obviously plays a major part in suit. So when they asked me to bring it down to Soccer AM, I opened my wardrobe and it had not been open since the day I wore it. Wow. Yeah, it still had like the flower in the lapel, <gasps> the shirt. It was all on the hanger. The tie was hanging down. And I opened it up and I was like, wow. So I took it down to Soccer AM and I went to Helen. I'd love to get it back. She's still got it, actually. It must be worth 40. Yes. After the show, I went, you can have that. Here you go. You can have it.
2: What? I bet that would go for six figures.
0: That's what they said about Alan Stubbs in 95. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That
2: needs to be in a museum. You need to get it
0: back. I did a thing in Cheltenham. In fact, it was the COVID Cheltenham. I did a thing, a corporate thing, and Helen was there. I said to so her, You still got that suit? She went, Yeah, and you're not having it back. I said, Well, what <laughs> a surprise. It's your pension. <laughs> so she got it, yeah.
2: Do you know what? we spoke to a few people in that Liverpool team? None of them have it. You're the only one who even knows where
0: it could be. Robbie's got his. Mac has not got his. No, no idea where it is. He could be protecting. It wouldn't surprise me if Mac has given his away. Him. Robbie. Robbie's one of them where it's gone in a wardrobe and probably never even thought about it ever again. And then he's opened <laughs> his wardrobe to have a clear out and it's there in the corner. But that's Robbie. That's why he's got his, not for want to keep it. Uh, yeah. I think Robbie's now is in a museum in Manchester. Oh, well, a few
1: months ago, my predecessor, Josh Widdicombe, he went to the Johnston's paint trophy fight. Was it the was It was the yeah. playoff fight? Yeah. So he's a Plymouth fan, and he was invited to Wembley to lead Plymouth out at Wembley. And he wore a cream suit in tribute to the Spice Boys. Oh, my God. And they got battered 4-0 by Bolton.
2: <laughs> what a game to have to watch. <laughs> in a white suit. In a no, white suit. It, it's
0: cursed. Let that be the end of it. It was weird, really, because, it, again, 90s football, It all played into the narrative of where we actually were as fans and footballers. We'd gone from the influx of all the money. So we'd gone from early 90s footballers into this big load of money coming into it, Sky, TV. We were now film stars. We'd gone from footballers into like we were film stars. It was mental. With that comes exposure. With that comes companies. Commercially, football clubs were way behind. I mean, Manchester United started the trend. It took Liverpool years to catch up, but... All of a sudden, there was a market then for kit sponsors and adverts, then come about. So, football fans, as tribal as I mean, we still are, but back then you couldn't do advertising In the early 90s. It was like the fans were like, Why aren't you at home preparing for the game? Why are you doing this? Like, why are you on the box, a cornflake packet? Why are you doing wash and go commercials? Why are you doing they just couldn't grasp the concept of like footballers evolving and changing into these like commercial assets. So football was trying to adapt and fans were trying to catch up. So the narrative of the white suit was the Liverpool, I mean, you're always up against it when you start because of the legacy and history of the football club, which precedes you. The stress and the, the emotion of playing for the club is unbelievable. But David James was modelling for Armani at the time. It literally has gone, someone has gone in Italy, what's this FA Cup final thing? And someone's gone, oh, it's like the biggest cup final in England, like millions watch around the world. The two biggest teams in the world at the minute are there, oh yeah, Man United, Liverpool. And they've thought, how can we jump on the back of this? Oh, David James! oh, the goalkeeper's modelling for us. Right, let's go and speak to them. They're literally, that's how it happened. And J-Mo comes in and goes, Armani, want to make our suit for the cup final? Like well, I'll have a bit of an Armani suit. <laughs> they made the suits. What they didn't tell us was it was going to be, going to be white, cream, <laughs> cream. It went. It was off-white, off-apple white. It was apple white, and they made them that quick. They were really ill-fitting.
2: But that's when you think you watch like that Chicago Bulls documentary in the mid-nineties. You're like, these suits are terribly fitted. But when you look at that Armani suit, yeah, it doesn't fit great, does it? It's all quite boxy and
0: yeah, big. The thing about them suits, right, that cup final. So Man United with the home team, and we were the away team, and you go into the dressing rooms and the old fellows wear there for years and Wembley whatever. The home team goes out to greet the fans in their suits or their tractor, whatever they go in. So they go out and they greet the fans. So we're in the dressing room. They go out first. And we hear this massive cheer, right, to where, like, United have gone out. You can hear it in the dressing room. 10 or 15 minutes later, they go out and do the interviews, pitch side, with, like, Ray stubs and all that. Like, they do all that. So next thing they come in and then the fella comes in Just He goes, right, your turn. So we go out in the white suit. Nobody cheers, right? I swear to God, the fans thought we were the band, right? They thought <laughs> we were the band. <laughs> <laughs> we come out, they're like, oh, it's the band. Where's the instruments? <laughs> oh, shit, no, it's the Liverpool team. What have they got on? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. we oh, so better good. win. And then oh, Fergie, apparently, his team talk was... The suits, they'd turn yeah. up like this. You don't beat this lot. But the Spice Boys tag was, we got to know the Spice Girls really well. Again, 90s, it was like, 90s footballers were very accessible. Like You'd see us in the pub. You'd see us shopping on a Sunday afternoon, Monday afternoon, whatever, after training. You'd see us in the local Italian restaurant. You'd see us at pop concerts. You'd see us wherever. And looking back, you're 24, 25. You're going through this high... Pressure, stress situation, and you're trying to relate to people who are in similar situations. So they come the game, pop stars would come the game, and you did it off because you'd be very relatable to each other. Be like, what's it like going on stage? Like, well, like, why'd you do that? And you had loads to talk about. And we kind of went through our lives, our jobs, our situations, can together, really. And then Melanie would go on stage, Sporty would go on with Liverpool kit. So it was relatable and she went on Macca's shirt and Ren Robbie, Baby Spice and Robbie, nothing happened between them, but they kind of got to know each other and she asked Robbie for tickets for a game. Robbie sort of got in the papers. It was like she come to the Arsenal game. Posh was around. So it all intertwined. It was just a crazy, crazy time.
1: Just to check, check. so Mel C wore a Liverpool shirt on stage with Maccatea on the back? No, Matt Manaman.
2: Oh. oh, sorry. <laughs> different macker, different Maca He was miles better than me. So, so. <laughs> Jason, it's been so wonderful. We've only got one final question for you, which is the one we ask all our guests, which is that I'm going to give you the option. I'm going to give you a button. And if you press that button, you can go back to the 1st of January, 1990 and do it all again. If I gave you that option, would you go back?
0: Yeah, but what's the outcome? Do I end up back here? Well,
2: you have to find out. This is like a
1: would you rather you do with Rue Tillich. <laughs>
0: No, mate, I'm a little bit more risky than that. A bit idiot. <laughs> Would I go back? Listen, I've got three amazing kids and I live my life through them now. And I look back, having played for Liverpool, yeah, there are things I could do different. We could sit here for hours and hours talking about it forever, but I lived the dream. It's like I signed on the dole. And six months later, I'm a professional footballer. Four years later, I'm playing in a World Cup. Five years later, I'm playing for Liverpool, FA Cup. I've got three amazing children I'll live my life through now. And I couldn't press the button and do it all again. I would change things if I did, but I'll take what I've got now. Oh. And look back, yeah.
2: What an answer.
1: Well, can I ask you, would you rather, uh, Jason, would you rather get your Lotus Elan back or would you rather get your Jenna Jameson DVD back? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>
1: No, the Alan, Moses Alan. <laughs> I think yeah. the Alan is the correct political answer, but I'm delighted to have asked it.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you for your time. What a career. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I love reminiscing and going back. Like I said, it was such a great time. And I could sit here for hours and hours and hours talking. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity, lads. Thanks. Brilliant. Love thank them. you, Jason.
2: So there we go. That was Jason McAteer. Guys, like, that is top tier Quickly Kevin content, isn't it? How many revelations in that?
1: Yeah. Well, also, you hate to tease, but he, he happily stuck around on the Zoom, made clear <laughs> that this wasn't for the podcast, and it chucked in a bit harder.
2: <laughs> Just when you think you've heard every 90s football story, suddenly you stop recording. And you don't expect open.
1: to hear the words "Maldini" and "string fellows" in the same sentence for, for sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, also,
1: he he, you know, uh, uh, to use the popular expression, understood the assignment. Uh, the man, you know, he's 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 had a, a you know illustrious uh, career even into the nineties, and now he's you know um, a, a pundit, but he misses the nineties. He punct- <laughs> you know, he punctuated anecdotes constantly by saying. The 90s, man.
2: <laughs> it was so on it was so You unbrief. had to be there. You had to be there. Well, there you go. That was Jason McAteer. Could have listened to him all day. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jason McAteer. Thank you, Twyvac. We'll see you next week. This week's outro courtesy of Luke Maguire. Keep in touch. Daryl Such.
0: Go legs! Hit legs! Hit legs over the top!